Brace yourself, visionaries, because coming September, everything that you find awesome about recovery is coming together in one place. It rarely gets any better than this. You're going to be so electrified by seeing what sizzling recovery is really heating up all over the place, right here, right now. Be a part of what recovery is doing when we come together. Your senses will explode. This convention is powered by the power found in the big book. That's why it makes it so different, so exciting and ever-changing. You haven't lived until you have found a way to be touched by the power in this big book. When it's face-to-face, wow, it just gets better. You'll be especially drawn in to experiencing for yourself a deepening of your transformed lives. How can that come out of a simple big book? Let's meet together to find out, to learn together, to play together, and to celebrate on fire. The power of the big book, your weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship. September 15th through the 17th. 2017 at the beautiful Marriott Hotel and Convention Center located right there in northern in northern New Jersey just a stone's throw away from Liberty International Hotel I'm sorry airport you can register now yep just while you're waiting here for this today's Sunday special presentation go to our website at www.avisionforyou.info and we'll be watching for you So for today, the reason that we came together for a very special presentation, a story of recovery, back over to you, Leah. Thank you, Melanie, and good morning and welcome to everyone. Welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 2nd, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, June 30th are for the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10103. And for 10 a.m. Eastern, 10105. This morning, A Vision for You presents A Design for Living. The 12th step sums up our 12-step recovery program as a lifetime undertaking based on the practice of spiritual principles and service to others. The joy of living is the theme of OA's 12th step, and action is its key word. The big book says, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. We must carry OA's message. Otherwise, we ourselves may fall into decay, and those who have not yet been given the truth may die. This is why we so often say that action is the magic word, Action to carry OA's message is the heart of our service within our fellowship. And step 12 includes the principles of all the other steps. In fact, it becomes the design of our lives. Joining us today to speak on step 12 is Mary Ann D., a recovered compulsive overeater from Georgia. Mary Ann is dedicated to our design for living and to carrying this message of recovery to those who still suffer. And welcome to the line, Mary Ann. Thank you so much, Leah. Appreciate that. Good morning, A Vision for You Fellows. As Leah said, my name is Mary Ann D., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm delighted to be here this morning. 
I want to give you an overview of what I'll be covering in this special edition, and then I'm going to jump right in. The primary text will be from Bill's story, page 15, the first full paragraph. I'm going to qualify because the topic today is direct, directly related to my history in the OA rooms. And after I qualify, I'm going to talk about the text from Bill's story. And then next, I'm going to share my experience as, a relate, as it relates to this part of Bill's story and a design for living. Finally, I'm going to share my experience about how I've used this concept to maintain and enlarge my spiritual condition. As I share my experience, I'll be using the names of A Vision for You Fellows, and I want you to know that it is with their permission that I refer to them by name in my story. Additionally, the lessons I've learned from Bill's story and put into practical use have been the most significant thing in my 12-step experience. It is likely that you will hear tears and emotion, and there are both kinds, some from the pain of the disease and some from the joy of recovery. I hope you'll be able to tell which one is which. So let's get going. I came into the OA rooms on March 13, 1998. I was 40 at the time. I don't have a history of compulsive overeating that starts back in my childhood or even in my early adult life. The allergy nor the mental obsession did not take hold of my life until July of 1991. My physician told me that I should never have bread or sugar again. Uh, my genetic history makes me predisposed to diabetes and my pancreas was not working properly, but I did not take her advice and do what she suggested. I was defiant and arrogant and you will see that as a theme as it runs through um, my story and my experience. My only barometer was whether I could fit into my clothes and how I looked in them, uh, self-centered to the extreme. Um, if my clothes fit and I looked good in my clothes, how could anything be wrong? I wasn't buying larger sizes. I was dating men and having sex, and I was never embarrassed to either be in or out of my clothes. But in, 1990, in July of 1997, things started to take a turn for the worse. Um, I am not able to maintain my weight, and it's getting harder and harder to stay in the size that I've been wearing. I also started to engage in behavior that puts food in the primary uh, position in my life. I'm the party planner. I coordinate all the birthday parties, the going away parties, the celebrations. I am the toast of my neighbors. You know, whenever someone needed um, or wanted something special to eat, they would always ask me. I was invited to parties and family gatherings. Uh, I knew, uh, you know, folks wanted me to be there, but um, what I contributed to the event was always food-related. And almost all of my spare time revolved around um, something that was food-related. In September of 1997, I had a personal tragedy in my life. Um, my fiancé at the time died of a heart attack, and I used food to deal with the emotions. I didn't fully realize how much I was using food to cope because I was in so much pain and I was in shock. And, but at this time, I started to exert control over my food behavior. And here are some of the things that I was doing to try to control the food. 
I would start dating someone, so I would have an excuse to diet because I knew I was going to have sex with them. Starting a new relationship would always get the emotions going and high gear and be good motivation for keeping my eating in check. I would stay away from the neighbors and from the family gatherings. I used Lent to give things up. I would throw away all the flour and sugar in the house, only to be back at the grocery store a week later or two weeks later, replenishing the uh, cabinets all over again. I put away my KitchenAid mixer, thinking that if it was out of sight, that the food thoughts and what I made with the mixer would be out of mind. I would tell everyone about my new food plan, you know, just one I made up that didn't include sugar or flour, or I would tell no one about my new food plan. I was fasting regularly, and um, I would pray, um, but the most important thing I did was I was a liar about food. I was so dishonest to myself and to other people. And by March of 1998, I knew I couldn't stop. The last thing I remember about my compulsive food behavior was a going-away lunch that I, of course, had planned. There were 15 people at the lunch, and after everyone had finished their meal and were visiting and fellowshipping, I was eating the leftovers on the plates around me. I remember eating from my plate, everything I had on my plate, and at least three others um, during that lunch. When I got home that evening, I was mortified, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I could not stop overeating. I have a dear friend in this fellowship, and I was talking to her on the phone on Thursday, March the 12th, as I was putting things down the garbage disposal. I went to my first meeting the next day and got a sponsor on Saturday. So for those of you on the line who might be thinking, I don't qualify to be in the rooms, uh, please stay with me because I can assure you I do. And the next part of my story will make that crystal clear. Um, I came into the rooms in one of the other food fellowships, and I knew if I wanted a sponsor, it was clear what I was going to have to do. I got a food plan that did not include any of my binge foods, um, and at that time, I only knew about sugar and flour. And it was weighed and measured, and it was three meals a day. And there was a very specific structure to the way I was sponsored, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I was not willing to follow the directions of my sponsor, she would cut me loose. I was able to put down the food immediately. I did my step work. I got to go wait. It didn't take very long. And I had already been introduced to the 12 steps, and I knew it worked for all kinds of maladies, and so I got busy in the solution. And at Thanksgiving in 2000, I made a conscious decision to go off my food plan. I was going to step to the other side of the street and be a compulsive eater for one Thanksgiving meal. Just one, not the whole weekend, not Thursday through Sunday, just one meal. And then I was coming right back. Now, why in the world would I have a crazy thought like that when I had everything I wanted and everything I needed, a right-sized body, normal eating behavior with the help of a food plan. I was free from the bondage of food, and the 10-step t- promises were true in my life. Well, many of you can answer the question. I wasn't attending to my spiritual condition. I had worked the first nine steps to the best of my ability with as much honesty as I knew how, 
but I stopped paying attention to my spiritual condition. And after that Thanksgiving meal, after losing my abstinence, it took me 10 years to get back into the rooms. 10 years. During the 10 years that I was out of the rooms, I experienced the hopeless state of mind and body that it talks about in the foreword to the first edition. When I thought about coming back into the rooms, all I would ever say was, I don't want to be a compulsive eater. I don't want to go back to OA. I don't, I don't, I don't, I won't, I won't, I won't. But everything about my behavior confirmed the fact that I was indeed a compulsive overeater and there would be no real freedom or peace until I came back into the rooms. None of my old standbys um, for methods of control were working, like I had talked about back in 1998. There were many days when I would wake up and think, okay, this is the day. This is the day I'm going to finally get control of my eating. I have a higher power. I'm a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. I have a connection to God. I certainly don't need OA to help me figure this out. And by lunchtime, I would be off my food plan and having my love affair with food. And then I thought, well, what the heck? So who cares if I'm 50 pounds overweight? I'm tall. I can carry the extra weight. So what if my backside or my behind is a little big or my hips are big? You know, I'm now in my 50s. I really have no interest in dating someone. I was making a good living, and I knew that if I purchased expensive clothes, that even though they were bigger, I would still look fine. The lies I was telling myself to compensate for how I was feeling and acting and thinking were so pervasive. It was an all-day, everyday activity to keep up the charade so I wouldn't be suicidal. My health was deteriorating month by month. My liver was so damaged by all the junk I was putting in my body. My chiropractor, who had seen me back in 1998 that I had been with all that time, she would beg me to please go back on my food plan and come back into the rooms. My cholesterol is off the charts. I'm taking a new kind of supplement every time I visit my chiropractor. I have every diet book and magazine and all the articles marked and highlighted, thinking that whatever is on the cover of whatever magazine is going to be my saving grace. I have dozens of cookbooks and really expensive pots and pans and kitchen gadgets because I think if I just cook at home and make home-prepared meals, then I'll be able to control my eating. I have plantar fasciitis, and I am in constant pain. I'm prone to sinus infections and bronchitis and pneumonia. And in the span of 18 months, I either had one of those, a sinus infection, bronchitis, or pneumonia, every three months. I'm constantly taking antibiotics that have now stopped working, so I'm taking stronger and stronger doses of them for longer periods of time. I'm spending all kinds of money on physical therapy, gym memberships, and yoga classes, but I'm still going through the drive through window at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm always careful that my car is not littered with all the wrappers. I take great care to find a trash can so I can conceal the wrappings of whatever I've just eaten so everyone thinks I just went to the drive through for a soft drink.
In December of 2008, so now I'm eight years into my relapse, I start to live with my brother and my nephew, and now things start to get really out of control, as if they are not bad enough already. I had not lived with anyone for many, many years, and so here we are all together, one blended family, and I am a raging compulsive overeater. I can't control my emotions or my temper or my tongue, and I did so much damage to my relationship with my brother. During this time, I am starting to eat at night, something that I had never done before. So I have my abundant meal with my family, and then when everybody goes to bed, I sneak up to the pantry and take food to my room, always fatty, salty food. I woke up one morning and had food all over my chest from falling asleep in the middle of eating something. The dishonesty is piling up and getting worse every day. I'm disgusted with myself. I can barely look at myself in the mirror. There are no full-length mirrors anywhere in my house. I can only stand to look at myself in the bathroom mirror to fix my hair and makeup. I have four closets full of clothes of all different sizes. I have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on clothes and shoes and things to make me feel better on the outside because I am utterly hopeless and disgusted on the inside. It really does boggle my mind to think about the insanity of my behavior when I knew there was a solution and it had worked for me before. There was no question it worked, but I did not want to be a compulsive overeater. I did not want to have to be in these rooms, and I was not going to come back. About this time, my brother and I were having a conversation about my struggle with food, and I can hear myself say to him, OA is the only thing that has ever worked. I say it. I say it out loud. I own it. He even repeats it back to me. And we're having a loving and productive exchange, and we finish, and I decide once again, I'm not going back to the OA rooms. By this time, I'm traveling for work, and I just do not have enough time to devote to another 12-step program. So in September of 2010, I decide to try Weight Watchers. It's the first time I've ever done this. Um, I go, I love the meetings and the fellowship, and I lose five pounds my very first week. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. This is finally it. It's a diet with support, right? Okay. For the next four months, I lose and gain the same five pounds. Week after week after week after week after week, I show up, up and down and up and down, the same five pounds. Now, it wasn't like I just had five pounds to lose, right? I'm now, you know, I have at least 50 pounds to lose. So I'm gaining and losing the same five pounds and probably then some. So I'm traveling to New Orleans for work, the food capital of the United States, and I decide one day that I'm going to get absent. This is in February of 2011. I wake up in the morning and I make up my mind that I am going to follow the food plan that worked back in 1998. I was willing to go to any length to get free of the bondage of the food. And if you have ever heard our friend in New York, Charles H., talk about this, he says, when you're ready, nothing can stop you. And if you're not, 
nothing can help you. And I was the epitome of that, that Monday morning when I just got out of bed and I said, I am going to get abstinent today. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how it upsets my apple cart or my life or my schedule. I am going to get abstinent. And it worked. The next day I got a sponsor and I came back into the rooms. And I sure wish I could stay, say that I have been absent since February of 2011, but unfortunately I cannot say that. I did my step work yet again. I got to my goal weight, but the same thing that happened in 1998 happened again in July of 2012. I did not take care of my spiritual condition. I didn't really know how to do that. I had done my step work, but it was not in the way it was written in the big book. And on July 4th in 2012, I had a resentment about the size of a house against my brother, the one I was living with, and I intentionally went off my food plan. I had no intention of being a compulsive eater for just one meal. I went off my food plan, and I was going to eat until the resentment went away or I couldn't feel it, whichever came first. I could tell my brother was going to say something to me when he saw me eat the meal that was nowhere close to anything I was supposed to be eating, and he just turned away and didn't say anything. And so in the chapter more about alcoholism, on page 30, it says, We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. And what happened from July of 2012 to August 13th of 2014 was nothing short of a disaster. I gained 70 pounds in about three months. I was still traveling for work, and I was away from my family and would eat substantial quantities of food every day in private by myself, telling my coworkers that I had to go back to my room because I had work to do. I would eat a large pizza for dinner and have plenty of things for eating all through the night. I would always go to the store by myself so no one could see how much food I was buying for the hotel room. I was hopeless, and I knew there was no way I would be able to ever stop again. I was a three-time loser. I had already had two chances to get this right with the help of OA, and I threw them both away, both away like pearls before swine. I did not think I could make it back into the rooms. I resigned myself to a life of misery and hopelessness. I continued to eat and behave in a way that was so far from anything that had any integrity, self-respect, or honor. I was wreaking havoc at work because I was so hard to deal with, and my moral compass was so broken that nothing would stand in the way of me getting my way. It didn't matter who I had to confront or lie about or gossip about. 
my health continued to deteriorate, and it was particularly particularly bad um, because it was so hard to travel. I could barely walk because my feet hurt all the time. I could barely fit in an airline seat. I always paid extra to upgrade myself to first class so I'd have plenty of room on the plane. I had seen my mother and stepfather suffer from every conceivable weight-related illness in the past 25 years, and I knew I was headed for the same path that they had been on, a life that was no good to myself or anyone else. And if I didn't think things were bad enough, in August of 2014, I stooped to the lowest point of my life. I was still living with my nephew and my brother, and I was trying to get my nephew, who was nine at the time, nine years old, to gossip with me about his dad. I went to my room that night, and I prayed for the first time in a very long time. And I asked God to forgive me and give me the courage to come back into the rooms. And I bargained with him. I said, I don't care if I ever lose another pound, but I just wanted my spiritual condition restored. I was so ashamed and embarrassed by my behavior. I knew I had to get back to OA if I had any chance of living the kind of life that would reverse my spiritual malady. So, true to form, I got busy in the solution again. I got a sponsor. I surrendered to the same food plan that had worked in 1998 and 2011, and I got busy with my step work. But I knew if I was ever going to sustain any lasting abstinence and recovery, I was going to have to do something different than what I had done in the past. My sponsor at the time was a woman in California, and she told me, about a big book phone bridge meeting that she had heard about. She couldn't even tell me any of the details. She just said, it's something about a vision. And by the grace of God and Google, I was able to find our website, and I started listening to the meetings. I'm going to talk a lot about the website and how I use it in my recovery plan, and I'm also going to talk about my step work, but I want to put my story on pause just for a minute And I want to go to the text for today. And one significant part of my story today is that I have been in the rooms longer than any other time, and I have been abstinent longer than any other time in the rooms. And the primary reason I can say those things today is that I have gone to great lengths to maintain my spiritual condition And that brings me to the topic of what I wanted to talk about today. The reference to my spiritual, um, the maintenance of my spiritual condition, of course, is found in Step 10 on page 85, but I'm not here to talk about Step 10. I'm here to talk about service and how it is the cornerstone of my spiritual condition today, and it is the thing that was missing in the other times when I was in OA. Now, I also actively work steps 10, 11, and 12 um, on a daily basis, exactly as they're written in the big book, but service is a a cornerstone for me. So now let's uh, go to the text for today. Page 15, Bill's story, the first full paragraph. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems. 
It was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I have gone to my old hospital in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. So we know from our study of the steps that even though there are no specific instructions in the text about what to do, what he did actually worked. And it's simply Bill's experience about what he did about a resentment and self-pity. And there are a couple of things um, in this story uh, that are significant for me. Number one, he is plagued by self-pity and resentment. Plagued is a very strong word. And what Bill is describing is not just a passing thought or a feeling. Being plagued with something is continual and it's torment. He also talks about self-pity and resentment nearly drove him to drink. I have been plagued by self-pity and resentment, and I did go back to the food. And many people do, and many alcoholics go back to the drink. He found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. We just heard um, Leah read it in her introduction, and I have it in my notes as well, that the first sentence in Chapter 7 says that practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. We also know from our study of Step 7, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, that Bill is going to have to do something to turn his character defects of self-pity and resentment into character assets. And that's always going to require action. Our fellow from New Jersey did a special edition on June the 4th that describes precisely how to work Step 7, along with other really great and clear instructions for step work. I highly recommend it. So let's just pause for a second to recap about what's going on. Bill is plagued with self-pity and resentment. Bill is in despair and this is the baggage that he carries to the hospital. So what kind of work did Bill do, and where did he do it? So he went to the hospital, the same hospital where he was when he was trying to get sober, and he went to talk to other alcoholics there. And what happened after he talked to the men there? He was amazingly lifted up and set on his feet. How? How does that happen? How can you go in despair and be plagued by self-pity and resentment and end up lifted up and set on your feet? How, how does that happen? Well, here's what he didn't do. He did not go into the hospital and talk about his despair and his self-pity and resentment. If he had done that, his story would have included a trip to the liquor store or a bar and maybe a trip back to the hospital as a patient. You can't go in despair and talk about despair and be lifted up. 
You can't go in self-pity and talk about self-pity and be lifted up. So Bill is going to have to manufacture some hope and some encouragement and a message of good news if he's going to be lifted up and set on his feet. And that's the design for living. That what you want, you actually give away to somebody else. Bill went to the hospital for the same reason Ebby came to Bill's house that day, to give him the good news, to give to Bill what his experience had been if Bill cared to have it. And I have employed this strategy so many times since I came back into the rooms in August of 2014. When I get the smallest hint of restless, irritable, or discontent, I get on the phone as fast as I can to make telephone calls and try to help someone. And I try and find someone I can share the good news with, someone that I can share experience, strength, and hope with. I try to find a word of kindness and encouragement to give to someone, even if I don't feel like it. And when I was newly abstinent, I didn't have too much to offer, and I didn't have too much time. Um, It says in Bill's story that Ebby had two months when he came to Bill's house. I didn't share about things I didn't have, but I was able to find ways to serve and to be of service. Even when I had just one day of absence, I was trying to find somebody that needed help. I tried to find somebody who needed a kind or encouraging word, and in doing so, whatever the enemy was trying to attack me with at that time then became a faint vision in my rearview mirror. I found in the early days of my absence that if the enemy would try to sneak in the mental obsession, my first action was to pick up the phone and try to call and help somebody. I have this vision of the enemy standing in the middle of the street trying to convince me that food is the answer to all my problems, You know that just one bite will fix my job or my family or my neighbor, and he's trying to coax me back over to his side of the street. And he's standing in the middle of the street, scratching his head, going, I just had her. I just had her. I knew it. I just had her. And he gets hit by a Mack truck because he's so perplexed that his subtlety did not work this time. The big book does not call him a subtle foe for no reason. I knew from past experience that breaking the chains of bondage to food was not just going to be a one and done like I had done it in the past. The enemy is not going without a fight. This design for living that Bill's talking about is one of the primary tools in my spiritual toolbox. So now I want to jump back to uh, the part of my story that now includes the um, what happened. You know, first I told you about um, what it was like, and then um, what happened. And so what happened when I did my step work? What happened when I started living in ten, eleven, and twelve? What is continuing to happen and how I use the tools on the website to maintain my spiritual condition and stay abstinent and in the rooms. And this is a very important component of my story, and it's this, that when I lose my abstinence, I am out the door and on a fast track for going over the cliff. I, it has not been my experience that I am one of those people that relapses and stays in the rooms. I, I, that's just not how it's worked for me. And um, 
You can hear from my story that all kinds of disastrous things happen when I leave the room. Now, abstinence is not the end-all, be-all, and I can attest from that from my time in the rooms in 1998 and 2011. You know, if I was absent, everything would have been fine. But for me, it is the first step to living a life that is happy, joyous, and free. And to keep my abstinence, of course, I have to maintain my spiritual condition. So let me tell you about the first miracle that happened um, as a result of me using the uh, website you know, and the member list. So the first thing I did um, when I got my login and my password was that I found all of the um, Vision Fellows in the state of Georgia and there is a way to sort the website, and there's a way to search on the website, and I'd be happy to share that with anybody who needs help. But so I found all the people in Georgia. There were about um, 30 of them at a time, and I called every single one of them. And I introduced myself and um, talked about um, you know, where I was in my program, asked them about their program. But the most important thing was I asked them about face-to-face meetings. And as a result of those outreach calls, I found an unbelievable meeting on Saturday mornings um, in Atlanta that I go to. So um, we're now in the um, April uh, time frame, and I was right in the middle of my fourth step, and my sponsor and I could not agree on the way to do it. I had been you know, attending vision meetings since September of 2014, and I thought she and I were in agreement about how to do the fourth step, but we weren't. And my, tuition, my intuition told me that I was on the right track. I was using the big book and doing it exactly the way it was written. And after our disagreement, I went to find all the special editions on doing a fourth step. And when I listened to them, I knew I had to continue on the path that I was on. And so my sponsor and I agreed to disagree and ended our working relationship. So what to do now? Well, I immediately got down on my knees and asked God to tell me who I needed to work with to do my fifth step. And here's what he said. Kim G. from South Jersey. And I thought, are you kidding me? I can assure you, he was not. So I looked her up on the member list. I called her, and I texted her, and I sent her an email. And she called me back within 24 hours and said in that Kim G. South Jersey kind of way, what exactly is it you want from me? And thank goodness I had an answer. I said, I want you to hear my fifth step. She said Saturday at 2.30, and I said, I'll be ready. And I was. We worked that Saturday on 5, 6, and 7. And then she said, well, why don't you call me back on Monday and let's go through steps 8 and 9. Now, here is a very important part of this story. At no time did I ever question her about whether she had time, wasn't she too busy, doesn't she have enough people to work with. I didn't do any of that. Now, This is not an endorsement for working with Kim G. It is an endorsement for listening to your higher power. And when there is clear direction, take action immediately. 
And then she said, well, how about calling on Wednesday? And I said, okay. And then the miracle happened. She said, I've had someone fall out of the rotation. Do you want their spot? And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this would never have happened if I hadn't been obedient when I heard the message from God to call Kim G. So at this time, I had eight months of abstinence, and I heard Leah announce that they needed a newcomer greeter for the second hour. I volunteered for Tuesdays, and for the next two years, I was the newcomer greeter on Tuesdays. I can tell you that being the newcomer greeter is my hands-down favorite position ever in any 12-step room. And as a result of being a newcomer greeter, I actually had the idea to actually call the newcomers that I was greeting. And this is a service that has completely changed my life. Additionally, when we would have sponsor seekers announce, I always took down their names and told them my story about my experience with Kim G and offered to help them. Now, I want to say about the service that if your sponsor tells you to call Recovered Fellows, then please be willing to follow the direction of your sponsor. I found that calling newcomers and sponsor seekers was so spiritually nourishing that even if my sponsor had asked me to call just Recovered Fellows or call Recovered Fellows, I would have continued to call the newcomers as well. And so as I practiced making outreach calls to the newcomers, I tried to find ways to help them. And so after my miracle with Kim G, I created an eight steps for sponsor seekers. And it's just simply a recap of what happened to me, but I would offer it to people who were looking for a sponsor. And so here are the eight steps. Register on a Vision for You website. Be sure you can search the member list and find names. I always encourage people to practice finding names when people share in the meeting. Uh, Be sure you can find your own name and that all your information is correct. And then pray. Pray and ask your higher higher power who your sponsor is. I didn't know, but he does. Maybe you don't know, but, but your higher power knows exactly what you need to get accomplished the next thing. And this is very important. When you get the answer, take immediate action. Call, send an email, send a text if you can. And step five, do not analyze anything. Are they available? Oh, I'm sure they won't have time. Do they know me? Will I fit into the... Nope. Just take action immediately. And when you make contact and whoever it is you're calling ask you what you need, be sure you can tell them in 30 seconds or less. They don't need to know your history. They don't need to know the details of your story. They don't need your opinion on how to do it. They just need to know what you need. When she asked me that day, what is it exactly that you want from me? I said it in a very succinct sentence. I need somebody to hear my step five. That's all I needed to do. Now, 
If for some reason the individual is not available to help you, do not get off the phone until you ask them who they sponsor or who they might know that can help you. And then I say to the folks that I'm sharing with, please be sure to call me back because I had a miracle when I needed one and there's one waiting out there for you too. There is no discrimination in this fellowship. If God did it for me, he'll do it for you. And if you need a miracle, get busy because there's one out there waiting for you. So the first step is, uh, of course, to register on the member list. And I always ask fellows if they're registered. Every single person that I call as a newcomer, I'm usually sitting at my computer because that's part of my job, um, but so I would look up their information as I was dialing their telephone number. And it's amazing how many people announce that they're new to the study who have actually already registered. And if somebody hadn't registered, well, I have a cheat sheet for that as well. It's simply a picture of the form on the member registration with some notes about what the syntax should be. Now, that information and that little tutorial is on the website already. But sometimes it's a little easier to have it sitting you know, on your desk as you go through the registration. And I have things in bold letters and things highlighted and smiley faces and arrows and you know, kind of like you know, training material to help somebody get through um, the member list. And so, and you know, there are other times when I call newcomers or sponsor seekers and they don't need anything. And I don't want to be intrusive, but I would ask them a few questions to see if there might be something that would present itself so I could be helpful. You know, I asked them if they had face-to-face -face meetings that they attended in their area or where they were in their step work. And um, there have been many times I just would get out my computer and somebody said, well, I don't know about the, the meetings. I would just go on the OA um, website and look, you know, put in their zip code and try to help them find um, a meeting. But no matter what the content of the conversation was, I always had a word of hope um, or an encouraging word or a kind word. And because I was so spiritually nourished by my own outreach calls, I started emailing the names of the newcomers and the sponsors and the sponsor seekers and the outreach to myself every single day. So I have a record of it. So if I, uh, you know, if I'm in a pinch and I and you know I have a smartphone just like just about everybody else does now, so I have emails for the past two years. So I could tell you, you know, who the newcomer was you know, in July of 2015. And many times, instead of calling the newcomer that just announced that day, I will go back 30 days and call those newcomers. Now, I can tell you that those telephone calls are hands down the most spiritually nourishing calls I have ever made. Absolutely, positively. And so just to put some things in perspective for you about the member list, when I started to be the newcomer greeter on May the 5th of 2015, there were 1,042 names on the member list. Today, there are 4,075. Now, let me share how the member list and outreach calls led to another fantastic face-to-face -face meeting um, in a different city. So um, I live in Atlanta, and I work in St. Louis, Missouri, and so I get on a plane 
um, on Sunday night and um, come back home on Thursday or Friday. And so in the summer of 2015, after the um, anniversary special edition, I decided to call all of the panel members. And so I listened to them and took down their names. And I noticed that there were two out of the 12 that were from Missouri. And when I got one of the fellows on the phone, she told me about a big book meeting on Wednesdays in St. Louis. And I can tell you, I just about turned over the coffee table getting my computer out of my bag so I could look it up. And it turned out to be right around uh, the corner of my apartment in St. Louis. And so now I am privileged to have two unbelievably rich face-to-face meetings. And it had everything to do with making outreach calls. Um, Another thing I want to um, talk about with regard to how I use the the website is that um, in November of 2014, um, I had been absent for about two and a half months. And my work assignment requires that I work all night um, about four or five times a year. It's just part of the kind of work I do, and um, we just have to, you know, go through an entire weekend, and and there are many times when, you know, people are up for, you know, 15, 16, 20 hours or whatever. So I was getting ready to work really the graveyard shift. I was there at 11 o'clock. And I was sitting in the conference room at midnight, and I knew that there had been a project disaster that had just taken place. And from my experience on my job, I knew we were going to be about four or five hours behind. Now, I had planned for um, for my food at the correct intervals, and you know I had it with me. And during these um, go-live weekends, there is food everywhere, and I mean everywhere. There's catered food. There's packaged food. At every place you look around the um, building where we work, there is food everywhere. So I'm sitting in the conference room. I realize this disaster has happened. People start converging on the room, I just simply get up without saying anything to anybody, and I go back to my desk. It is now probably, I don't know, 12.30 or 1 o'clock. I get on the website, and because I I knew I was not going to make it through this crisis, this project crisis, um, without doing something. So I get on the website, and I just pull up the daily meetings, and I listen to the last five meetings one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And I fill my head with instruction and recovery from the big book. Now, I was praying all the time as I was doing this. There was nobody talking to me because I was not part of the, um, you know, crisis team that was fixing this. It was my job to come back and do something else after they fixed it. And so there I was. I couldn't go home. It wasn't an option to go home. I had to be there. And so I just went to my desk, and I pulled up the website. The other thing that I um, am finding from my work on the website is the unbelievable um, rich content and instruction from the special editions. 
And as I am working on my sponsor process and refining my sponsor process, I've been using the special editions to supplement and enhance my own experience. And so I just decided I was going to do a project one weekend. I wanted to know um, in you know one place in an Excel spreadsheet what the special editions were, who gave them, what the date was, what the share ID was, and what the general topic was. So as I sponsor um, folks and we start working and we are you know get to a certain step, I'm able to give them the exact information about where to go on the website to find it. Now there's a search um, you know box on the website for special editions and you can find things. This is just this just helps me and so um, there are 240 seven special editions and I have them cataloged in an Excel spreadsheet. And so, wow, <laughs> what unbelievable um, instruction and resources we have. So if you're on the line this morning and um, you don't know how to get started making outreach calls, I want to simply tell you um, what I say. And for those of you who have been on the receiving end of one of my outreach calls, you will know I say the same thing every single time I call, and here's what it is. Hi, this is Mary Ann D. from A Vision for You in Atlanta. I heard you introduce yourself this morning in the second hour. I wanted to welcome you to the study and see if there was anything I could do to help you or any way I could be of service to you. And then... I'd be quiet because I'm going to practice what it talks about in Chapter 7 when it says, when you have a prospect, learn all you can about him. And if I'm talking, I cannot be listening and I cannot be sensitive to a need that somebody might have that they might not even be able to articulate at the time. And so, you know, if they say, um, you know, no, everything's fine, and, you know, I'm doing all right. I have a sponsor or whatever. I just ask a couple of questions about, you know, face-to-face meetings or where they are in their step work just to see if, you know, there might be something that I could do to help them. I try not to be intrusive. And, um, but, you know, I always do that just so I can leave the door open, and I always offer, you know, to be of service if I can. And, um uh, these days, I have started adding to uh, that little uh, preamble. Um, I usually say, you know, I'm pretty good with the website, and I have a knack for helping people find sponsors. I have my own miracle story around that. and um, But I've always got a word of encouragement and a word of hope if you need that too. And so then I leave my um, name and telephone number. And so that is all I have to share today. And Leah, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Thank you, Marianne, for your beautiful presentation this morning and for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us. Your generous spirit is greatly appreciated. 
Marianne's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that, and we'll now transition to a question-answer segment. If you're interested in 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 directing a question to Marianne, please press star 1 to unmute to uh, identify yourself. Am I Karen, Karen A? Karen Sima A. M. Sima M. Kathy I didn't catch. Matt, I got you. I didn't catch the women prior to Matt. Kathy. Kathy K. There we go. Kathy K. And who else? Rhonda. I'm so sorry. Uh, Try again. Rhonda. Rhonda. Rhonda with an R. Rhonda, thank you so yes, much. Thank you. And no, Miriam thank you. Rivka. Thank you. Okay, let's start with that group. Thank you for your patience. Karen A., go right ahead. Good morning, uh, fellow visionaries. Um, I appreciate it just so much. Marianne, I always enjoy talking to you, and thank you for sharing. Um, I promised you a couple months ago that I was going to listen and call in, so here I am. Um, I will say that Being in OA for a while, I know that the telephone was always a tool we were told to use. I always hated using the telephone. Uh, Many times I couldn't find people there when I tried to call. Uh, And being envisioned for you, the telephone has taken on a whole new meaning, and it is a major part of my program work. And I thank everyone on the line so much for being available even if you don't answer, just to know that you're there and that I can call is appreciated. My question and uh, issue is that sometimes, uh, especially when I first began, I would hear a name on the telephone, like I'll give this name because God, thank you, I've, I've been able to contact her now, but her name was Vasa O, and I didn't know how to spell Vasa. And I just looked in the member list. I couldn't find it. I tried to guess the spellings, couldn't guess it. Um, But then after talking to you, I found out her name was not Vasa with a B as in boy, but Vasa as V as in very. And so I was so relieved, and I was able to call her. I found her on the member list, and it was great. (laughs) But where in our meetings, because they're so extremely well-structured, Where's the best time to ask, how do you actually spell this name? Where's the best time in the meeting? Or should we call uh, Melanie C? Or just how do we do that? So I don't want to interrupt the flow, but sometimes I need spelling. Right. That, that is a great question. And um, there is a time um, at the end of the second hour of the first meeting, so it is actually at 8.50, um, Eastern Time, and um, where the um, host, you know, asks for those um, seeking outreach, or if you're looking for it, or for a telephone number. So that would be the time to ask right there. That you know, there's a uh, a sentence in the second hour host format that talks about, um, you know, look on the on the member list. So um, I'm glad you brought this up so I could give you a couple of pearls of wisdom about how to search on the member list. And um, 
I'm not a web developer, but I, I, you know, I am in software implementation, and I understand databases. And that is, you know, the, the member list is really just a big phone book, you know, on the um, on the website. And so, when you're looking for someone's name, the thing to remember is less is more. So let me give you a perfect example. So my name is spelled M-A-R-Y-A-N-N, and my last initial is D like Delta. Now, there are all kinds of different spellings of Marianne. Some are two words. Sometimes there's an E at the end. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there is um, M-A-R-I-A-N-N, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. So the best thing to do is to start with just a few um, letters in the search box. So you might. So if you put in M-A-R-Y, of course you're going to get all the Marys and all the Maryans. Anything that has M-A-R-Y in it, that's what you're going to get. And so then just start to just letter by letter, put in a letter and see what the results are. Put in another letter and see what the results are. And when you think that um, maybe you have it um, spelled right, you know, if it sounds like an E, put in an I. If it sounds like an I, maybe put in an E. And so there is really an art to um, searching the member list. And the other thing I do is down at the lower left-hand um, part of the page, there is a default for how many names you're going to get on a page, and the default is 20. I always go in there and change that to 100 and hit apply. So now you're going to get 100 names um, to look through. And so, so it might be a little tricky to get from um, um, be like Bravo to be like Victor. And so that would be the time then to ask at 850, say you've searched the member list, and maybe you need somebody to help you with the spelling. So hope that answers your question. And actually, the person who just asked the question, her name is Karen, and she actually spells her name with a Y instead of an E. Right. So <laughs> she's, a per- she's a perfect example of um, exactly what I'm talking about. And so three okay. cheers for you for asking the question. So we could, um, we could call that out. Thank you so much. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Sima M., your turn. Hi, this is Simma. Did you call on me? Indeed. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Marianne. I had to check my phone to make sure it was you that was speaking and not me because I kept shaking my head every time um, I was identifying so much with how you work the program and how you use the website and how you listen to your higher power. And uh, so thank you so much for sharing. And uh <clears throat> I have a question, which is, would you be willing to share your database of the um, special editions, which you categorize? Because that's something I would have done in the past, but I'm, I'm kind of fed up with computers now, so I'm limiting my time. I'm retired, fortunate enough to be retired so that I don't have to argue with my computer to get it to do what I want it to do. And, um Yes, so uh, I, if I call you, or I don't know if you want to share it with everybody, but uh, I would like to get a copy of that. 
Yes, I, I would be happy to share that. And there are actually um, several things that I referred to um, in my sharing with you that I'm happy to share. One is the eight steps for sponsor seekers. The other is the cheat sheet for member registration. And Melanie, I hope you're ready for um, <laughs> the onslaught of new member registrations, but you know, that's a good thing. And then this Excel um, spreadsheet that I have, and, it, and it's, all, it's all ready to go. And um, if you don't have Excel on your uh, machine, I can even save it in a PDF file. Uh, you know, so yes, I'm happy to happy to share that with you. All I need is is a request from you, and uh, it would be great for us to have an outreach call and then um, exchange that information as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sima. Kathy Kay, your turn. Thank you, Leah, for your continuous service, and thank you, Marianne. I just want to say how much I got out of your share today, particularly <clears throat> how you reinforce um, the value of going to do service with newcomers when you find yourself in self-pity or resentment. That was a great reminder <clears throat> for me as someone who continues to struggle with um, the character defect of self-pity on occasion. So thank you for that. Um, my question to you is about um, sponsoring. Uh, you described your experience with Kim um, G and how profound that was. I'm wondering if you find yourself using the same approach with all newcomers that you work with, or do you find yourself going down different pathways depending on the particular individual you're talking with? And I'll listen. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. That's a great question. Um, what I'm finding is that because of my schedule and um, because of the fact that I work in Central Time and live in Eastern Time, I'm kind of going back and forth and back and forth, that the structure for me is really important and to do the same thing with the people that I'm working with because that just helps me kind of stay between the bookends, if you will. And I try not to be so incredibly rigid that there wouldn't be an opportunity for, um, you know, a diversion or, um, you know, some, something different. But I need the structure for my own life because of everything that's going on. And, um, and especially as I started to uh, work with fellows um, in the evening, um, I'm a I'm a morning person, so um, you know when I'm in St. Louis, I'm usually up you know by five o'clock, sometimes before that. And so when it gets to be seven or eight o'clock at night, and I've worked at my job all day, and <clears throat> maybe maybe I've traveled that day, I really need the structure just to help me to stay focused and stay on target. So that's that's the way it is for me, and that just helps me you know, be in alignment so I'm not so scattered all the time just because of being tired or, you know, my schedule. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for your question. Now we have Rhonda. Thank you so much. Um, I got so much from the qualification. I just had a question, um, and um, regarding, like, when you're calling um, – like newcomers, or you're just calling people who are, let's say, new to uh, a vision. Um, when someone 
one is let's say let's say someone says they want to give away uh they want to talk about like a tenth step would you would you like the i have two parts to my question would you let's say take someone's tenth step if their sponsor were not available and if that person perhaps as the big book talks about let's say has some outside issues would how would you handle that that's a great. I'm glad you asked that question, Rhonda, because I wanted to uh, clarify something that I say to all the newcomers. I never say that I heard you say you were new to OA. I never say mm-hmm. that because that's not what we ask them to do. We ask them if they are new to the big book study. And when I stopped saying that, um, you know, I heard you were new to OA, the first thing that happens is they say, well, you know, I'm not new to OA. And then then they go into the history of their time in OA. And then I lost an opportunity to maybe be of service and to be helpful. So, um, So I say new to the big book study. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, uh, yes, uh, because I'm a recovered sponsor now. Now, at the beginning – when I had not done my step work, um, I hadn't been absent for very long. Um, no, I could not take a 10-step, ten, and I would not take mm-hmm. a 10-step. I only started taking 10 steps when um, I got done with my step work, and at that time I had um, eight months of absence, and I was working on my own um, process for 10, 11, and 12 every day. And um, if somebody has an outside issue that I know nothing about, and I'll give you a perfect example, if somebody starts talking about um, anorexia or bulimia, I have no history of that at all in um, my experience. And so I will say to them, now, you know, on the website it doesn't say, you know, who's a compulsive overeater, you know, who's an anorexic, who's, you know, but I encourage them if they can, to get back on the line, you know, the next morning or whenever it is at 8.50 and um, put their name um, for outreach if they need something specific. Um, And, you know, if if it's an outside issue that I know nothing about, I just say, you know, this would be a great time to um, go in prayer. And um, would you like me to pray with you or, you know, whatever. But if I don't know about something I try not to engage in it because then that's just me just blabbing away. Thank you. Thank you, Rhonda I. And Miriam Riska, your turn. Hi, thank you so much, Leah, and thank you, Marianne. That was very inspiring. Um, My question is just when you mentioned that you took some quiet time and you asked, your higher power, how to proceed, and the answer you got was to call Kim G. I was wondering if you could share a little more about how you know when a response is your higher power or when it's your own will. Thank you. You know, sometimes I don't. Um, I, you know, I just do the best I can, and um, then I get into action. But I'm very clear about, you know, pausing. So so I, I literally got down on my knees and I asked God and um and the answer came right away. Sometimes it doesn't. 
And um, sometimes I have to just continually um, be in prayer. And so, you know, you might say, well, if I had called Kim Ji and she wasn't available, um, did I not hear from God? You know, did it, was, it, was it Marianne's will instead of God's will? You know, I don't know. It all depends on what, what Kim might have said, you know, after that. No, I'm not available, but I know so-and-so who might be. So I, you know, I wish I could tell you that um, I knew. And many times I don't know for sure for positive until I look in the rearview mirror. Now, in this case, there was some pretty good quantitative data to point to the fact that this was not Marianne's will, but this was God's will, because, you know, I went for a fifth step, and I ended up doing the rest of my step work um, with Kim G. Um, but, you know, I don't always know until I get down the road a piece. And if I've missed the mark, um, you know, I'm coming right back in my daily review and say, you know, okay, I missed it. Um, and I don't know how I missed it, but, you know, please forgive me. And if I need to set something right, I set it right. And just try to be more in tuned to um, the voice of my higher power when I'm needing direction. Thank you, Miriam Rifka, for the question. And now, Madam, please. Thank you for your service, Leah. Thank you, Miriam, for your wonderful presentation. I remember I was one of those people you called when I was a newcomer to the fellows at uh, the Big Book Study. Uh, question, uh, I've had a lot of sponsors over my time. I've been in the, in the rooms for t over 10 years. How many sponsors have you had all together in your road path to recovery? Just curious. Um, hum, 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 hum. Well, you know, not that many because, you know, I don't stay that long. Um, but um, this time around, one, two, three, uh, four, since August of 2014. And maybe um, just two sponsors from the other times, from 1998, um, and uh, just one. So uh, less than 10 in, um, in all these years. But, of course, this time has been the most significant because of um, the instruction that I'm getting from the big book and the fact that I'm willing to follow the instruction and uh, uh, try to stay in the rooms. Thank you very much, Matt, for your question this morning. All right, who else has a question for Marianne? Penny Ruth, Ruth H. You'll have Barbara E. I got Barbara E. Holly S. from Fort Worth. Holly S. Leah, I also heard Penny C. Uh, the at first. Penny C. June S. June S. Linda D. And Ruth. Okay, let's go with that. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth H. Go right ahead. Everybody else, please mute. Thank you. Hi, thank you. This is Ruth H. from Connecticut, um, recovered, and so gratefully. And thank you so much for for all of your service. Um, I'm a new sponsor, and I have a couple of sponsees who have been 
abstinent for a period of days, usually a week or two, and then going back to um, their old ways of eating. And I've been taking them back to step one, and I'm just curious what you do when you work with someone um, who continues to, to struggle. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Well, I uh, I tell them what I did. And um, <clears throat> because there are a lot of times we don't talk about um, what happens in the first 30 days of abstinence, of how you just have to gut your way through it. You know, Larry Kay says this, sometimes you just have to power your way through it. But here are some things um, I talk about with them. The first thing I tell them is to cherish these first 30 days. And you might imagine the um, comments I get as a result of that. And they're like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And I said, uh, no, I'm not kidding. And here's why I say that. Because the first 30 days are so unbelievably significant in the life of they were in my life um, and in the life of somebody who was in recovering. Because if you cannot remember your first 30 days, then how are you going to be able to tell somebody who is struggling in day seven what to do? And so I tell them to cherish everything that happens in the first 30 days. Write things down. There are so many things that are changing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so um, so that's the first thing, to really you know, set in motion that this is not something to be dreaded, but it is something to cherish. Because when you cherish it, you can reach back and then you'll be able to help somebody else. You know, there are very few times in, 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 in my life that I can say, I know exactly how you feel. And, you know, that's part of why this program works, because we know exactly how each other feels. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, I will not work with anybody unless they're um, willing to make outreach calls and willing to be of service in some way. I find that um, fellows who are not willing to do that um, are not teachable, and they um, kind of have a defiant spirit. And um, my program is um, all about service. And so that's the second thing. The third thing is that um, I talk about some of the strategies for um, what to do when, when there is a strike from the enemy. And um, the thing I do, first and foremost, if I'm in my car and I'm driving and I'm not going to pull over to the side of the road, I pop in um, some kind of tape, any tape, usually it's my praise and worship tape, and I start singing at the top of my lungs. I turn the radio up really loud and I really get into it, and it does not matter how I feel about it. Because in really short order, usually less than a song, I have completely changed in terms of how I'm feeling about everything. And that is a really important um, thing to do for two reasons. One, there is um, power in the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we can speak anything into existence. Number two, when I'm saying something out loud, and this is why outreach calls are so important, when I'm actually saying something out loud, I am overriding whatever mental obsession is trying to percolate um, in my brain. 
And so if I'm sitting at my desk or you know, someplace where I can get to the phone, that's why I reach for the telephone when I get that first ingling of restless, irritable, or discontent. But um, so I encourage people to open their mouth. Also, I encourage people to move. You know, if you can, just get up from whatever you're, whatever you're doing right at that time. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sti- sitting, stand up. Take a walk. Go outside, you know, and just um, try to get quiet and realize the enemy is not going without a fight. The enemy is not going to let me just sashay across the street, tripping my way to the light fantastic over to the side of happy, joyous, and free without a fight. He's not going to do it. And so I have to be ready. So I have all these things in my spiritual toolbox to prepare myself for that. And I, and I say it right off the bat when um, I start to work with fellows. That, that's actually the first thing I talk about. I talk about that before I even talk about the doctor's opinion. So hope that helps. Thank you very much, Ruth H. Holly S., your turn. Hi, good morning. May I be heard? Yes, go right ahead. Um, Hey, good morning, and uh, thank you for your service. Um, you have actually answered my question uh, with the last uh, caller. I'm, I'm, I just live in chronic relapse, and um, and and these uh, these items I've written down, and uh, and I'm just struggling. So I think I will uh, work on uh, writing about everything about all the changes because I can get to about two weeks, and then I just you know I just fall off the wagon. But um, I appreciate it. It was very, very helpful. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Thank Holly. you, Holly. Leah, before we go on, just sure. uh, one more thing. Because the website is so rich in content um, and instruction, you know, um, p- pulling up a meeting, uh, listening to a meeting, just like I had to do that uh, that one time at midnight, and filling my head with something that can um, stop the um, the chatter and the attack of the enemy. And so you might find, I don't know, just two or three, um, you know, really significant, either a special edition or parts of a special edition or a part of the big book. And um, if anybody needs help navigating the website, I am happy to help you do that because there is uh there's gold in there. Thank you. And Barbara E, your turn. Thank you so much. Um are you able to hear me? I am. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Marianne, for your wonderful inspiring share. I have three questions. One is very mundane. How do you spell Marianne? The second is what exactly do you mean by taking a 10th step call? Because the third is not a question but a statement. I was told by my wonderful step sponsor that if I think or act on a defect, I should send her a a text or email or call her and do a step four through nine if I have a fear. Am I relying on myself or on God? And if I have a resentment, go through the resentment review sheet um, saying who, what, why, 
what was affected. So my question is, what do you mean by taking a 10-step call, and how do you spell your name? Okay, well, I spell my name, uh, two words, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E, and my last, uh, the first initial of my last name is D like Delta, and on the member list, there is no space between Mary and Anne. So it's M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E underscore D. Now, um, I think I was answering the question when somebody said, and if you call a newcomer um, and they want to give you a 10-step, do you take it? I I think that's what you might be referring to. Um, and And I said, you know, I do if they... Um, so I was a little unclear. Is that what you're talking about when I when they asked me that question and I said yes, I do take a ten step call. If take a ten step if I happen to get somebody on the phone that needs one. And if you're talking, Barbara, we can't hear you. This sponsor says that I should not be making 10-step outreach calls because that's just revisiting the resentment, that I can send the defective character to her and then do a step four through nine, exploring my fears, because a lot for me is fear-based, and if it's a resentment, go through all the different columns for why I'm feeling a resentment at that particular time. Is that, in fact, what you ask of your step sponsors? Uh, no, no, I don't make outreach calls for 10 steps. I, 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 I think we're maybe on a different wavelength. Um, I, if I said that, I, that's not what I meant to say. I was, I was just talking about making outreach calls, and somebody asked me if I could take a 10-step, I think. I'm asking what you do with your sponsees for 10th step. Oh, I uh, we're not um, we're not there yet. I have not been able to sponsor. I'm so sorry. I completely misunderstood the question. Uh, no, um, no. The outreach calls that I ask my sponsees to do is just to get into service. And well, to, so, yeah. Finish up. I'm sorry to interrupt. Marianne. No, no, that's okay. Um, and I just a- actually have not sponsored anybody that has made it to that point, so we're not there. But I would, um, I would uh, tell them to do it exactly the way I did, just exactly the way you talked about it, Barbara. When I get to that part of my instruction with my fellows. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks, Barbara. Penny C, your turn. Thanks, Leah, and thank you, Marianne. It's good to hear you, good to talk to you again. It's been a while, um, and I'm just so, so, um, I'm pleased with who I am that I'm still teachable, you know, because so many of the little um, instructions that you gave and hints I've picked up on, and I can still learn. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Uh, the question I was going to ask you is, uh, in the big book, in uh, working with others, there's a sentence that really, really stands out to me, and it says, 
get a sense of their religious leanings when working with new people. And you know, I know how I go about that, but I'm wondering how you go about that. Well, I um, I talk about my um, experience with my higher power, and um, what I usually say. Uh, now, you heard me say in the special edition that I'm um, a born again Christian, spirit filled, and um, but I usually don't lead with that. I usually um, try to stay with the language in the Big Book when I uh, talk about higher power, and I listen for what, how people refer to their higher power. And so if they stay with that language, then, um, you know, I stay with it too. Wherever they are, I stay with it. But I have a really keen ear, and I really just listen for it, Penny. I don't ask um, any questions about it. Um, I just try to be um, spiritually in tune with it and use my um, in, my spiritual intuition about it. Thank you. May I say May I say how um, what's worked for me? Please. It's um, I simply you know because in talking to newcomers, I'm definitely going to be talking about my higher power, God. It's it's just comes comes out naturally, and so just so I can be able to respect the other person's, um, you know, uh, beliefs and in, in, in status with that, I just say, what do you call your higher power? Usually that works, but like you, I think, you know, I keep a keen ear to know when and if that question is going to be uh, appropriate and received well. So, But thank you for your entire share. I, I'm just so pleased I was here to, to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great idea, Penny. I just wrote that down. I'll, I'll be using that in the future. Thank you, Penny. And June S., your turn. Yes, good Good morning, and thank you, Leah, and thank you, Mary Ann, for your courageous sharing. I realize the time is, is beeping away here, so I'll just say that what about, um, and maybe I'll, I'll call you on this, the struggle with my struggle is who is this God and how would you advise me in the sense that this is the primary strength I could hear um, when you get go towards recovery. Well, June, um, uh, thank you for asking that question. Do you know, I have thought um, for a long time that the chapter, um, We Agnostics, uh, really didn't apply to me. Uh, because of my uh, spiritual orientation, uh, the amount of time that I have um, been in church, and I couldn't, nothing could be further from the truth. And when I actually got into the chapter and started to study along with um, the rest of the fellows, what I realized was that, um, and what I realized about lots of things is that sometimes the information that I have is not for me, but it's for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, I would, um, um, if there's a special edition on We Agnostics, I would listen to it. I would get in the book. I would um, listen to the recordings and really be open to um, letting a higher power show you the way 
to um, a relationship. Thank you, Mary, and that really helps a lot, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Juness. And Linda D., you'll have our final question for this morning. Hi, this is Linda D. Thank you. I wasn't sure I got on there, so here I am. Um, Marianne, fabulous. Thank you. I won't waste time with more accolades. The question I have for you is um, what you, you have gotten to the point where you do so much service, and it's lovely, and it's wonderful, and so grateful for it. And I know that to compare is to despair. So I'm not going to go there, but I'm wondering how you manage in terms of your own personal balance. This may be something that's more of an outside issue, and we can talk about it on the phone. But um, you know, for those of us who um, do have constraints in terms of how much time we can place without the, and all of us do, how, how do you how, how do you work with that? Well, what really helps me is that um, I am sitting at my computer almost all the time. It is my vocation for work. I have it open really morning, noon, and night. I do my writing on my computer, uh, you know, and whatnot. So, so that makes it, makes it kind of easy. The other thing I do is that I have um, uh, written out text messages that um, are verbatim what I shared at the very end of my talk about how I greet newcomers and um you know and sponsor seekers and so i have a text and then i save it over in my notes and if i don't have time to make um outreach calls or i'm kind of in a pinch i do have kind of a demanding job and then with you know, my travels or whatnot um i just go over there and um i uh find the person on the website or i've got them already you know cataloged in my um because i've taken names of the newcomers down i'll just send a text and um and say the exact same thing that I said. You know, I heard you were new to the Big Book Study. Can I help you? Et cetera, et cetera. I do make um, a lot of outreach calls um, when I'm driving. I have some um, things, you know, queued up, like right before I leave the house and I, you know, hit call before I uh, start to drive. And so I make outreach calls to and from work, and um, I make calls, you know, on my lunch hour because I find that the that spiritual maintenance um, um, helps me. And uh, this is what I love about the member list. If it is 10 o'clock in the Eastern time zone, it is 7 o'clock in California. And yeah. if I have not gotten my outreach calls in, I start calling time zones to the West. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, Linda D. Thank you to everybody who asked questions this morning. And of course, thank you so much, Marianne, for your beautiful presentation, your general generous service today and previously on Vision for You. Your service is always appreciated. Today's Share ID, 10111. That's 10111 for today. Let's close from page 164 of Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come 
if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.